just want to leave this place. Welcome to the Netherworld Emporium. I am your host, Mike Del Nero, and this is your spot for in-depth looks at the more macabre side of life and movies, including twisted fairy tales, folk horror, 80s exploitation, and other world entities. While I focus mainly on cinema, I'm also going to take some detours to look at video games, television, and other pop culture phenomenon with a dark twist. In the coming weeks, we'll take a look at the undead, including the ever-popular trope of zombies, ghosts, and other phantoms. And I'll take a look at the ancient beliefs that inspired many of these tales. After all, the ancient army of the undead was very real at one time to people living in Greece. In the coming months, you can look forward to hearing about necromancy, which is communicating with the dead in ancient Greece, the popularity of pop parlor seances in Victorian London, and a multi-part series on what I'm calling necrostalgia, the phenomenon in which once dead or near-dead pop culture tropes return. Everything from Stranger Things, Scream, the Final Fantasy video game, to retro horror toys, and more. So please, hit the subscribe button and follow me, and join me for a journey into the dark woods and the less traveled road. Just be sure you brought your flashlight. such sights to show you. scream disturbing me performed removal of vocal cords his name is dr butcher md medical deviate and he has perverted the science of medicine for his own maniacal means <laughs> dr butcher md medical deviate you will die only to live again in a younger body then you can tell me if the operation was a success. What it's like to pass from life to death and death to life. See Dr. Butcher's diabolical surgery. You must have a psychopathic deviant in the hospital. Dr. Butcher loves New York. There are so many attractive patients to operate on. I could easily kill you now. But I'm determined to have your brain culmination of my career. Dr. Butcher, medical deviant. I'm on the verge of discovering the key to, to increasing man's lifespan by over a hundred years. Prepare the operating table. I'm anxious to experiment on a male Caucasian brain. <laughs> The time has come for you to play your part in this momentous occasion. Science must surmount all obstacles, and this requires certain sacrifices. It will comfort you to know that generations to come will reap great benefits from my experiments. Susan. 
bloodthirsty lunatic. M.D. Medical deviant. He's a depraved, sadistic rapist. A bloodthirsty, homicidal killer. And he makes house calls. Dr. Butcher, M.D. Today on the podcast, I am taking a look at the infamous Zombie Holocaust. An Italian Euro slash or Euro trash horror film from 1980. This movie was recut for America under the title Dr. Butcher MD, standing for Medical Deviant. This is quite the gore fest, and it is sort of this Euro uh, trash genre at its peak form. So in this movie, we have... Movie starting with a heart is missing from a cadaver chest in a hospital. And lo and behold, they notice that this is happening in a lot of hospitals where the hearts go missing. Later on in this film, not that much later, just a little bit later, uh, a guy eats a heart and they catch him. So they go off to this island where they suspect something is amiss. And it turns out that there is indeed something strange going on. I'll tell you about that right after this. Yes, home is wonderful for most things, but when you want to relax in cool comfort and enjoy the world's finest entertainment, your best bet is this delightfully air-conditioned theater, where Hollywood's biggest stars and greatest hits will thrill and amuse you. I told the doctor on duty at once. It happened ten minutes ago. Jesus, heart has been removed. Never seen anything like it. It looks like it's been ripped out. I don't want you to say a word about this to anyone, nurse. All right, doctor. So soon after this, a doctor, an anthropologist, and a journalist head on down to this island to discover what is actually going on. The film was directed by Italian director... Marino Giralami, and it stars the American actor Ian McCulloch, who plays Dr. Peter Chandler, Alexandra Dei Coli, who plays Laurie Widge, <laughs> Laurie Ridgeway. What am I even saying here? Uh, Sherry Buchanan, who plays Susan Kelly, and Donald O'Brien, who plays the notorious Dr. Abrero. So these films, 
that were often imported from Italy and then redubbed with American actors for the voices in America uh, were coming over in the late 70s and the early 80s. Um, and before I get into a little bit more about the movie itself, I just want to put some of this in the cultural context. So uh, in the 70s and early 80s, what we know now today as the area of New York City that is Times Square, where we have the Disney Store and Applebee's and billboards and MTV films, uh, and today it's, quote, cleaned up or gentrified. Back in the 1970s, it was not what it is today. As a matter of fact, it was, according to some, uh, a den of deviance. So they had what were known as grindhouses back then. And these were movie theaters that were open more or less 24-7. And these big movie palaces would show all kinds of movies. This is... Uh, back where, you know, these movies would be turned out very cheaply, uh, oftentimes sleazy. We had all kinds of these, you know, slasher films and bloodletting films and all kinds of just gore made on the cheap um, that could easily make their, their money back. And uh, a lot of directors would, you know, direct many of these a year. Um, Roger Corman's company, American International, distributed a lot of these one of the things about these movie palaces is literally they were, they just lined the streets and there were probably over a hundred of these. And they would show, you know, some, some of them showed foreign films, some of them, some of them showed art films, and a lot of them showed these exploitation films. Some of them even went um, into showing like pornography and that kind of thing. Uh, the thing about this uh, is that this area was considered sort of dangerous at the time. And going into these movie theaters, you could, you know, find all kinds of interesting people. Uh, but a lot of people would go in there and do drugs. Uh, people would get robbed in there. They, uh, notorious figures would unscrew the light bulbs so that there wasn't light in the bathroom. And then they'd rob people going into the men's room. So regulars to the movie theaters who wanted to see these kinds of movies learned quickly that you don't go into the bathroom there. Uh, there would be also a lot of people yelling back at the screen. Uh, a lot of times, some of the people who were in these movie theaters were not necessarily there to see the movie, whether they were there to just get some air conditioning or hide out or do drugs or sleep or do whatever. Uh, they were considered somewhat dangerous and very, very sleazy. Uh, but it was a place where you could go and see all kinds of movies. So, And again, like I mentioned, they were open quite... Many of them, quite a few, many of them were open, you know, 24 hours a day. And so this movie that I'm talking about today, Zombie Holocaust, the original version, before it was recut for uh, American distribution, where it was known as Dr. Butcher, was one of these movies that played on what is known as 42nd Street back in the day. And uh, at the end of this podcast, I'll tell you some interesting documentaries that you can see that cover 42nd Street. Um, there is some nostalgia for it because it just wasn't so mainstream. It wasn't just so, you know, oh, there's everything we can see in every other small town in America. Uh, it had some character to it. Um, that character wasn't always the the safest or perhaps the, uh, the healthiest, but it, it's kind of a place that... Uh, has been lost to history. So it's, it's been documented by a lot of scholars. And um, 
so this is the time where this movie came out, and this is when these kinds of movies could play. Uh, not everything had to be The Avengers or Avatar. There was plenty of room for very, very low-budget films. So the movie I'm talking about today uh, probably wouldn't play at uh, Showcase or Lowe's or any of those big theaters. This was more playing in the kind of CD underbelly uh, and also found a really big market on VHS because it's right around the late 70s and the early 80s that we start getting the VCR and the rental market. And I'll talk about the video nasties in a later podcast that comes to us from the British and they were uh, very, very enthusiastic about banning many of these things that they said contributed to the decline of the youth. Okay, so getting back to the movie. So uh, these characters head on off to the island to find out exactly what's going on. Why are these cannibals suddenly in New York City? So they go to this island, and this is kind of a textbook case of colonialism and uh, the natives as being depicted as the dangerous other. These are not civilized people, and they're dangerous. So there was a lot of this in these exploitation films where uh, the natives of any given sort of remote island would be represented as savages and doing the most sort of debased things imaginable. So on this island, they are the cannibals, and... There's this, as soon as they arrive, there's this big cannibal battle and they're attacked by the cannibals. And this has some of the goriest scenes uh, in the film where, you know, there's just bloodletting and they disarm them. The cannibals disarm the uh, the team from New York. Uh, one of the members of their party gets his eyes gouged out in very, very vivid fashion. Uh, another thing that happens, another guy gets his intestines ripped out and one of their party, Susan, is carried away by these cannibals. Now, as these cannibals are attacking them, suddenly we hear this sound and out of on the horizon appears this very macabre looking zombie. And as soon as the cannibals see the zombie, they run for their lives. They flee. And the last few remaining members from New York City gather their sort of wits and they sort of try to figure out what's going on. Now, once Susan is taken, they go, they head to a boat. And once they get to a boat, again, they're attacked by another zombie. But this time, uh, the character uh, of the doctor is ready for them. Dr. Peter Chandler is ready and he saws this zombie's head in half in very, very vivid fashion. As they're walking along, uh, we're cut to another scene and they find what they think is Susan. They see her hair and they turn and they go to tap her on the shoulder and lo and behold, this hair comes off and it's a zombie wearing her hair brings us to the question, where is Susan? Well, Susan has been taken by the doctor, and he is doing horrible, horrible experiments to her. So this is that scene where the doctor that they are looking for is performing experiments on Susan. Ah! <laughs> 
Now I'm about to open the juggler vein. Insert a bypass which will release the blood pressure on the brain. The blood extracted will later be re-administered at the end of the operation. No. scream disturbing me performed removal of vocal cords so that was the scene in which we see the doctor doing horrible things to student to susan rather and uh as we hear there he snips her vocal cords simply to stop her from screaming because it disturbs him so this doctor here imagine in this scene he has her chained to the operating table and she has no scalp because he's removed her hair and he's got her hooked up to this tube where he's draining her of her blood and he puts this weird device in her mouth almost like a, you know, like a thing a dentist would put in when he's filling a cavity and then reaches down and snips her vocal cords. Uh, very, very brutal scene in the movie. So later on, uh, as the movie progresses, the doctor and his companion continue to explore what exactly is going on? And lo and behold, they figure out that Dr. Obrero, who we just heard doing horrible things to Susan, is behind all of this. Originally, they were going there to see if they could get his help, but lo and behold, he is the bad guy behind all of these horrible ill doings. So after this, they go and they find his lair and they find many of the natives bodies hanging upside down and they've been killed in various states of experimentation. This leads to a final showdown with Dr. Obrero where he captures them. He gets the drop on them and he manages to uh, sort of get them where he's going to uh, take both of them and do more horrible things to him. So he has Dr. Peter Chandler 
just like he had Susan chained to a table and uh, Lori is taken away at his command by the natives to be sacrificed. So the scene where the doctor is doing his experiments or is attempting to rather do experiments on Peter, uh, Lori is taken and they begin to sort of prepare her for this sacrifice, which in this scene, uh, obviously the, the exploitation kicks into high gear. We've had the blood and we've had the gore and now we get Susan, uh, all but naked. They show her, um, and they show her, uh, topless. So this is the kind of things you'd often see in these exploitation movies. Uh, lots of nudity. Um, the rating that the movie got wasn't particularly important because, these things were done on a low budget and they'd obviously, you know, find a big enough audience on uh, on the 42nd Street there as well as on VHS to do well. Uh, and this movie did do quite well uh, at the box office when it came out. It found its audience. So they're preparing her for the sacrifice. And this is the scene in which uh, they prepare Lori for their sacrifice. So you can hear uh, some of the the sounds there. Again, we talk about the othering uh, of the native people, and uh, we sort of have that kind of very typical, uh, stereotypical music playing in the background as they prepare this sacrifice. And in this scene, they've kind of laid out this shell that will hold Laurie perfectly. However... Uh, as befits a heroic ending to this story, uh, Peter manages to break free. Um, they give him this drug that's supposed to knock him out, but miraculously it does not, and he manages to grab a scalpel and free himself, and he heads on off to the rescue of Lori. Now, this is interesting in this film because uh, Dr. Obrero, who has been sort of having these uh, Native people do his bidding, uh, once they get into this final showdown, uh, Dr. Obrero himself is eaten by the cannibals in this kind of... Uh, orgy of violence finale. So the cannibals uh, turn on him because they know they've been used by him and they just wrestle him to the ground and they're cutting him and they're eating him. Uh, at the end, we see Laurie. She is rescued by Peter and we see the film ends with uh, Dr. Obrero's lair completely engulfed in flames and Laurie and Peter simply mourning the loss 
of those who have been killed on this island expedition, um, but also kind of just standing together and watching his lair burn. It doesn't really have a jubilant ending, but uh, it ends with Peter and Laurie together at the end. All right, so here is Dr. Obrero being overtaken at the end by the native people. All right, so uh, I want to go a little bit more into some of the background of this movie as well as the cultural context and look a little bit at how it was received by audiences who uh, really uh, liked this, this, this sort of exploitation genre. And I'll tell you a little bit about some of the other films that kind of fall into this genre as well as some of the directors who have done films similar to this. All right, now the zombies in this movie aren't quite as sophisticated as the ones we may be used to seeing today. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're scary enough looking, but they're more uh, stoic looking, perhaps, and they don't have kind of the, the, the ripped flesh and all of that. But here is a scene in which they uh, encounter the lair of Dr. Obrero and they run into one of the zombies. Okay, so that was uh, their encounter one of the zombies once they enter the lair. Now, I want to put this movie in kind of some context here, given that it came out over 40 years ago, and the entire movie-going and movie-consuming experience was quite different than that which we are used today. Which we are used to today. Pardon me. So, this movie... On a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of gore, I'd give it a 9. It's pretty gruesome. So we can put that up there with modern-day films like maybe Wrong Turn, uh, The Hills Have Eyes, some of the, quote, torture porn that came out in the early 2000s, like Saw, Hostile, Turistas, and films such as that. Um, but I think a film like this definitely plays into the idea of the, quote, dangerous uh, native trope uh, more so than some of the, the movies that we've seen in modern days. Uh, and definitely the entire danger relies around the fact that, lo and behold, New York City, which has been invaded 
by these natives who are stealing body parts and eating them, and then they're bringing them back to this mysterious island where the anthropologist and the journalist and the doctor, traditionally seen as sort of the uh, epitome of Western society, go to take on this danger. The interesting thing about this movie is that the danger itself is caused by Dr. Obrero, who is ostensibly a European physician who has sort of turned to the more macabre side of things and is experimenting on the very edges uh, of medical science and creating these aberrations uh, on this island and believes that he can do this undisturbed. And so, when we look at a film like Zombie Holocaust, it's worth considering that the threat manifests itself in the big city, in this case, the biggest city, New York City, and then must be traced back to this island inhabited by these primitive natives. These films were not uncommon in the 70s to the early 80s, uh, there are other directors who did this kind of thing. We can look at many, many films like this, many of which have zombie in the title, uh, infamously uh, cannibal holocaust. So zombies and cannibals populate many, many of these films. And as I was mentioning, it is only through the intervention of the hallmarks of Western society that the threat is brought to an end. Interestingly enough, in this film, they do portray the uh, the evil mastermind behind all of this is Dr. Obrero, who, of course, in the American version, becomes Dr. Butcher, uh, medical deviant MD. Very, very clever. Now, uh, here's some information that uh, was given by an interview with the editor of the film, uh, Jim Markovic. And of course, he's not the original editor of the film. This film was brought uh, to America from Italy, where it was originally made. But he uh, oversaw the editing of the film for an American audience when they remade it as Dr. Butcher. Uh, so originally, the film was purchased by, by Terry Levine. And he was a famous producer who would buy a lot of these films from Europe and then do what he called, quote, tricking them up after buying them from Europe. Um, oftentimes he would insert new scenes or cut things in an attempt to make them gorier or to appeal to an American sensibility. Uh, so his studio, interestingly enough, or not his studio, rather his office was on 42nd Street right above one of these uh, theaters right above one of these, you know, grind houses that we were talking about earlier that was in kind of the sleazy area, 42nd Street, before it became the Times Square that we know today with its lovely Applebee's and all of these restaurants that you can probably find anywhere. The M&M store and the Nike store and all of those civilized places. Uh, so... 
he would buy it for a reasonable price. He'd import them from Italy and he'd buy them and essentially buy the distribution rights and the rights to the film and he'd edit them. Uh, one of the reasons that New York was in such a disarray at this point was because of the financial crisis. Uh, this direct, this rather uh, editor, uh, Jim Markovic, talks about when he would get paid uh, and he would do a lot of this editing for uh, Levine. And he talks about, well, OK, you know, it was in a really bad neighborhood. So he would carry around a steel pipe with himself just in case he needed to defend himself uh, because he would have to go pick up his checks at Sam Levine's office, who obviously had his office in this very kind of. Uh, sorry, did I say Sam Levine? That's a modern day actor who was in Freaks and Geeks, um, completely outside the purview of this podcast. Uh, Terry Levine. And he would go and pick up his checks at his office. And um, uh, he never really talked about having to use the pipe, but he had it just in case. So this is the kind of uh, atmosphere that, that it was present on 42nd Street at the time. Uh, also, the other thing worth mentioning about this film and others like it is that they would often be shown in a double feature. So what that means is that, OK, uh, there'd be these movies were, were generally kind of short, um, generally no longer than an hour and a half. And they would show two movies back to back and maybe there'd be like a brief little, hey, go out and get some snacks between them or something or people who were there for reasons other than to watch the movie would simply continue their slumber or whatever it is that they were doing. Uh, illicit or illicit. Is that the opposite of illicit? I don't know. Um, so anyway, uh, a little bit more background on this film that I want to go into is, uh, the original uh, Italian version and uh, as to how some of the American actors on this film, because even in the Italian version titled Zombie Holocaust and Zombie in the Italian, it's spelled Z-O-M-B-I without the E. So I'll tell you a little bit uh, about that production in a moment. So uh, Ian McCulloch, who plays one of the main characters in Zombie Holocaust, and its American version, Act Number Medical Deviant, also starred the year before in a movie simply titled Zombie, directed by the notorious Italian schlockmeister Lucio Fulci. And we will definitely be visiting Fulci's films in some future episodes of this podcast. Uh, Fulci made a lot of films. And they are all very violent, very gory, feature nudity. And, uh, you know, some of them are kind of fun, uh, particularly zombie. So that was made the year before. So Ian McCulloch uh, is a Scottish actor, uh, kind of typical Hollywood good looks, tall, blonde hair. And uh, he used to be in a BBC series where that's where he gained some fame. But then he would kind of take this turn in his career and start in a lot of these Italian movies that were kind of ripoffs of American movies or just kind of fun gore fests. Another movie that he starred in is uh, a ripoff of the movie Alien called Contamination. And uh, that's also kind of a fun movie. So he also stars in that. 
And it's kind of interesting to just kind of see the the path that his career took. Uh, he's pretty well known for these films. So um, as we'll, we'll talk about in a future episode, a lot of these actors that appear in these films are well regarded on the Comic-Con circuit. Uh, other actors such as Jeffrey Combs, famously the reanimator. Uh, so will, will we see this kind of uh, gaining notoriety for maybe films that aren't the biggest box office blockbusters or even regarded that highly, but, uh, they do have their place in film history. Uh, now zombie Holocaust was directed by Marino Gerolamo. So he directed a lot of films in his long career. Uh, he died in 1994 at the age of 80. And he was the director of over 70 films. So he had quite a prolific career, um, turning out kind of these low-budget films, uh, sort of in the tradition of Roger Corman. Roger Corman is a famous American producer who did a lot of films on the cheap and many, many American directors got their start under him. We'll definitely touch on him in a later episode. We'll devote one to him because he's legendary uh, for sort of B pictures and getting a lot of filmmakers that are famous today, getting their start uh, in terms of his, uh, in terms of the director here uh, talking about Girolami. Uh, there's not much more to say about him in terms of his films. Um, I don't think he's ever really beyond uh, the zombie Holocaust films that's famous for other reasons, uh, really directed anything that was noteworthy or top the charts. But there are a lot of movies like this, uh, low-budget science fiction and horror films. Sherry Buchanan, who plays Laurie Ridgway, was born in Biloxi, Mississippi, and would go on to live in New Orleans for a number of years before she moved to Rome, Italy, to become an actress. Uh, her first film was in 1974, titled What Have They Done to Your Daughters? And it's about a teenage prostitution ring and also a motorcycle riding killer. She was in the acting business for a while before she moved back to America to study at Loyola University. One of the reasons she left the profession was because uh, she was in one of the Emmanuel films, and there's a whole series of these, and they're kind of softcore, you know, porn films. Uh, but she was in one of these, and they actually, without telling her they had another actress double as uh, a naked uh, for her in a scene that in a scene that required nudity. So she was completely um, obviously, um, you know, just said, that's it after that, this is dishonest and I'm not going to play this game anymore and moved back to America shortly after that, uh, getting her degree at Loyola and then eventually moving back to Italy to appear in bit parts in movies. Brief correction there. Uh, everything I said about Cherry Buchanan is true to the best of my knowledge. She did not play Laurie Ridgway. She played Susan Kelly, who is the uh, unfortunate woman who is scalped 
and then uh, horrible experiments are performed on her by uh, the titular doctor in the film, Dr. Butcher. So, Alexandra Delicoli, who does play Laurie Ridgway, she appeared in uh, less than a dozen films. Uh, probably the most famous film that she appeared in is Zombie Holocaust. Uh, but she also did appear in another film that's kind of infamous in the exploitation, quote, subgenre, uh, known as the New York Ripper, that was released in 1982 and directed by the infamous Lucio Fulci. And uh, this film is about uh, a detective and a psychoanalysis working together to track down a serial killer who is in New York City and he's killing young women. Uh, again, an incredibly violent movie. I don't think Lucio Fulci, uh, other than a couple films, he did a couple of comedies, weirdly enough, but he uh, was notorious for his bloodletting in his films. All right, so uh, that's about all I've got to say about this film. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're interested in viewing the film Dr. Butcher, uh, the Blu-ray label Severin has an excellent version of it out featuring both versions of the film, both Dr. Butcher, MD, and Zombie Holocaust, with a slew of special features, including interviews with the cast and crew, as well as a breakdown of the New York locations, what they look like when they filmed the movie back in 1980, and what those locations are today. The difference between 42nd Street in the 80s and today is striking. It doesn't even look the same. Uh, as well as um, looks at the film by uh, scholars and um, other people who were in the New York scene uh, in the 70s and the 80s. Okay, so that's it for this episode of The Netherworld Emporium. Next week, we will have another exploitation film, but I'm not going to let you know which one. Uh, so hopefully you can tune in next week and join me. Uh, in the meantime, have an excellent week. Bye. <laughs>